Welcome to Great Minds. And our guest today is Yvonne Markman. Yvonne and I had a chance to sit down together at Hudson Yards during Advertising Week a few months ago. We had a great conversation there. And in effect, we're gonna continue that conversation today. He is the chief business officer at Yahoo, is in the midst of an absolutely legendary and incredibly varied career. And Yvonne, we can't touch all of it, but we're gonna hit as much of it as we can. And there are so many places to start with you, but there's something very distinct that jumps off the page about you. And it's that you've had two tenures at Yahoo. You were there, I guess, roughly 07, 08, 09 in that period, and now back as the chief business officer. And I'd love to start by reflecting on Yahoo then and Yahoo today. It's unusual for someone to go back to a place where they were once before, in particular, having been in a senior role and now in a very senior role. So I'd love to get your reflections on Yahoo then and Yahoo now. Yeah, uh, thank you. And, and you know, we, we refer to that as being a boomerang or boomeranger, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I would say the, the aspect that is the most common to then and now is this notion that the sky's the limit and that there's an opportunity to drive meaningful growth by tapping into new areas um, in the ecosystem. What's different is everything else, right? At that point in time, Yahoo had different brands. Uh, the landscape was so different. You know, the notion of cookies going away uh, was, you know, probably cookies were just starting when it comes to, you know, the, the, the broader use and, and uh, all of the elements that go with that. So I would say that uh, for me, the, the, the aspect that is the most common and most exciting personally is this notion that, uh, that the sky is the limit and that there's a lot uh, to innovate going forward. And Yahoo is unique in that people love Yahoo. You have a real brand halo and there are companies sort of no matter what they do, no matter what they spend, no matter how clever the advertising campaign may be, you can't really acquire a halo. A halo is something that you either have or you do not. What is it about Yahoo that has enabled it to keep that halo, Yvonne? And there's almost a resiliency to it. We look back at that first tenure you had, give or take 15 years ago, a lot of the players that were around then are no longer around. Yahoo is audience 900 some odd million, absolutely thriving under your leadership and your colleagues. How do we figure on that halo that you've kept? And what do you attribute that resilience that Yahoo has to? Um, when it comes to the consumer side, and you mentioned hundreds of millions of users, there's uh, very valuable experiences, ones that are meaningful and, and have now been meaningful for, you know, generations in the internet, if you will, right? So think about sports, fines, the utility around mail and how that over time has enabled commerce more greatly. And when you think about the um, business to business side, our ad, ad tech business, our search business, um, it has really been a true orientation towards meaningful growth and meaningful connection with our customers being very much, you know, 
people first and thinking of the customer on the other side as a person, right? That is trying to drive growth for their business and deeply connecting with that partnerships, um, uh, you know, being very, very focused on partnerships that grow everyone and then really performance, right? We have to deliver what on what we promise. And you know, as you talk to our customers and you talk to our customers and, and partners, I think that uh, that has been something that has been somewhat of a constant and one that we keep going back to as a bit of a true north, if you will, say, hey, you know, this is what's going to uh, continue to build that. And in, in many ways, that's what has uh, made Yahoo stand over all of these years. And also it's a very strong foundation for Yahoo today and into the future. Yeah, it's an incredible uh, success story. And I guess it goes back to the ethos of the founders way back when, which is still there today, all these years later. Okay, so we're going to come back to Yahoo, of course. I want to talk about some of those partnerships that you mentioned. I know there's something very exciting you just announced in the travel sector with Marriott that I'd love to dig into a little bit later. But let's dial the clock back a little bit. And I want to go all the way back and down to Buenos Aires. And a little company that I'm sure is going to make you smile, M&Y DJs. I'd love to talk about your early days. I know DJing is still a passion, but let's start as we really construct, you know, a dialogue and a, a narrative, if you will, about you. I'd love to talk about those early days as a DJ. So uh, I was 14. I loved music. I didn't have enough money to buy all of the music that I wanted to buy. So I started DJing and reasonably quickly, I found out that it was actually good. So before I knew it, I had a bunch of mobile DJs working for me and that helped uh, support, you know, high school and college. And it was both something that I loved, uh, but also something that, you know, was a good source of income uh, as well as uh, an amazing source of satisfaction, if you will, for my, for my customers. Uh, so, uh, look, I learned a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. And I would say that there were lots of things from that very early experience as a teenager. And I, you know, I kept going professionally until my early 20s, then sold that business to my partner. Uh, but as, as you pointed out, I continue to DJ uh, to this date. And, uh, you know, both personally and, and, and professionally, it, it, it gave me a lot and continues to give me a lot. Fantastic. And there is something about, you know, learning early, 14 years old, learning to earn your own money. That stuff is foundation that helps you your whole career, I think. Yes, for sure. And I, I, I think the other aspect to it is, is that connection with your customers, right? And, and really, you know, are they having fun? Are they enjoying it? How do you plan ahead for what's going to make it an amazing experience for everyone involved and staying on top of it and, and building those relationships? Um, I, I, I would say that that was something that, that I, I learned a lot about and has stayed with me since then. You know, I hadn't thought of it until we were talking about it but I also had a little DJ thing, but it was records, it was not digital. And we called it Amaretto Audio because somewhere we found a sign that was lit, a lit sign, like, I don't know if it was LED or what it was, Amaretto, the old liquor. And we were Amaretto Audio. Not, not nice. the story to close yours, however. Um, 
So you then start what we'll call your sort of business pathway at one of the great training grounds the world has ever produced, Procter & Gamble. But you came in in a funny way. You came in not sort of a traditional way, but in the talent door. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. So I had uh, to graduate from college. I had to uh, you know, write a graduation thesis. I was really interested in applying the tools of finance to human resources and particularly talent development and, and performance appraisals. As part of that, I connected with a lot of companies. One of those was Procter and Gamble. And, and in Argentina, uh, PNG in the 90s was a, a bit of a startup backed up by this you know, massive global company. And I went through interview processes and landed two offers. One was to go uh, in as an assistant brand manager, more of the traditional Procter and Gamble career. And the other one was to run recruiting for the Southern Cone, which involved corporate marketing. And I think I went against everyone's advice and, and, and took the talent one. And once again, I loved it. Uh, in many ways, my role was a lot more unique within the company. And you know, I learned both corporate marketing because we, as much as P&G was known elsewhere in the world, it wasn't as known uh, in Argentina. And then also learning about talent, right? And how to connect with talent, how to evaluate talent and how to drive the whole talent acquisition process and engagement process, which was super, super important. So uh, I am personally grateful to have followed maybe the, the least traveled path uh, early on, if you will. But it's such an interesting path that you did follow and you can really see how your background, I mean, you've had very senior positions in strategy and finance and operations and across the whole marketing communications continuum. You've got a really varied background, unusual in that you can go deep vertically or across horizontally. That's unusual. Yes, thank you. Thank you. There, there was this, uh, there was a paper that I'll always forget from college called humble decision-making. And uh, what this paper described was that uh, effective managers would scan the landscape at a very superficial level and figure out where to go deep. Um, and that marked me a lot because I felt that personally, I wanted to be able to go deep in a few different areas if I needed to, and, and be dangerous enough to you know, connect with, with folks in those areas. So as you pointed out, um, it, it's, it's in a few of those. Sometimes I wonder, once again, the, the, the road not traveled. If I just had gone very, very deep and monothematic, if you will, in, in one path, if that would have been different. Uh, but personally, I felt it's, it served me well. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, it sure seems to have worked out pretty well, given that you're still relatively young in your career and where you are. So you then end up, you had a little tenure at Booze, Alan, and you end up at Overture, one of the great brands that is virtually lost in history. Can we talk about Overture and what that was at that time? And clearly things could have gone a lot of different ways for Overture, um, but talk about that experience because it's a special company and produced a huge amount of talent that's still around today. Yeah, so Overture was an, an amazing company. It invented paid search. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time when I joined, uh, it, it was a little bit opportunistic. It was a very bad job market, uh, back in 02 for, uh, business school graduates. 
And I landed this job that was sitting in the intersection of product, research and development and finance in paid search. And to be honest, I had no idea about any of those areas. Probably finance was the one that was the closest to me. I called my father and I told him that I was sure that I would get fired within two weeks. Uh, but, you know, I definitely needed a job, so I jumped into it. And Overture was innovating so much, and that space was growing so fast. And to your point, because of that and because of the moment in time, it had attracted such fantastic people, uh, which was, you know, just an amazing learning ground and also a place to grow. And this was the early innings, once again, of a lot of the digital advertising industry as we know it today. While it was paid search, from there, there was the outgrowth of um, contextual advertising, leveraging some of that for um, what then came into the market uh, as, as contextual ads. And then from there, as we were acquired by Yahoo, it got connected with display and video, and then through acquisitions and other activities became you know, the inception of programmatic advertising. And, and that continues back to your first question to today, where as much as many of these technologies have been in place for a long, long time, it feels in many ways like it's back to you know, day zero, where there's a lot of innovation uh, to come and, and, and to be had. Amazing. And was David Kornstadt there at that time at Overture? DK was there. Um, uh, when I joined, he was uh, running sales. And uh, yes, we, we, we partnered there. We had lots of fun together. Yeah, terrific guy. We actually did your global sales meeting one of those years. And the theme was one. And it was the year when the search and display orgs, do you remember that, were put together? Yeah. Which at the time was a big deal. Now it seems almost comical in retrospect. But then it, That's was, right. it, it was a big deal then. That's right. That's right. Amazing. Amazing. So you uh, had a great run at Yahoo, rising up the ladder, and then partnered with some co-founders in a great, great business as CFO and COO at MarketShare, uh, another terrific company. Can we talk about that little tenure that you had, which lasted about seven years at MarketShare? That was quite a run. Yeah. So, so when I joined Overture, it was a startup. It was in startup mode. It was growing very, very fast. Um, and towards the tail end of, of my Yahoo time, I wanted to go back to that feeling of early inception and growing really fast. Uh, Market share had cracked the code on connecting offline advertising and online advertising with attribution. So to be able to uh, help CMOs and agencies say, hey, how much should I put in TV? How much should I invest in TV versus different forms of uh, digital advertising to sell cars, as an example? Um, so, you know, having been at Overture and Yahoo, I knew that that was a big, big problem for everyone in the ecosystem. And this was an opportunity to drive that. So, as you pointed out, joined uh, in 09, we grew the company 15 times and uh, sold it uh, to Newstar, which was a public company, and then kept driving that. Um, and then, you know, and then we sold Newstar to a private equity company. So uh, when you look at that business today, the Newstar market share capabilities are still a very strong component now of TransUnion's uh, offerings. TransUnion acquired Newstar, 
and the whole problem of attribution and marketing investments, where to put those and how to maximize that continues to be you know, a, a big industry problem as the media landscape continues to evolve. So it was a great experience. You know, when I joined, we had like 20 people, all of those dimensions, you know, scale very uh, materially and globally. Uh, so once again, a, a big learning and I'm super proud that, you know, that the product is still out there and, and serving, you know, billions of marketing spend and helping those become smarter in terms of the impact that they have. And that passion that you spoke about for being involved in something that's early stage around this point in your career, you start to become an advisor, an investor, a board member, which is still a very active part of your life. Is that something aspirationally that you always wanted to move into or it was something where just circumstance created those you know, opportunities for you? I, I think so. Um, during college and business school, I was a TA, a teaching assistant, and I loved engaging with students and seeing that learning and that growth is something that I personally draw a lot of learning and energy from. So as some of these advisory and, and board opportunities came about, I, I saw it as a different way of connecting some of my experiences to helping businesses grow in meaningful ways. But also, you know, I have a full-time job, right? And that takes up uh, uh, all of my days and nights and so on. You know, it's, it's, it's very involved. But those relationships, those advisory relationships give me a unique perspective that benefits my full-time job, right? Because it's that connection with the ecosystem. You know, I'm involved with early stage companies that I hope will be large uh, companies into the future. So it's a way to stay current and connected to the ecosystem and the industry. And then, you know, those companies benefit from some of my experiences and, and a network to help them grow. So it's a, it's a very symbiotic, uh, you know, approach and, and again, one that I draw a lot of energy from and, and uh, I think hopefully if you connect with the CEOs of those companies, they'll say it's also uh, valuable for them. Right. I guess having a full-time job does get in the way at some point. It does. It does. It's a juggling act. But again, I do believe and, you know, we talk a lot about this and we do a lot of, uh, about this. We just, um, last Friday, we had a, a, a mental wellness day and, you know, time management and making sure that all of us create the proper time for some of these areas also helps the full-time job because then I come back with new ideas. I come back more energized and, and I, without it, you know, quite frankly, some things may become more monotonous or tedious and, and you know, so, so I think it is a juggling act for sure, but personally one that I'm very focused on and I'm fortunate that, you know, my boss, our board, et cetera, that everyone is uh, supportive and also sees the value in that. And, and I think they're right. And I think you're right. And that really helps you keep that razor's edge, especially all the, you know, interacting. We're probably about the same age. I think there's a great value to having opportunities to interact frequently with folks in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, totally. So you uh, wind your way back at great tenures, advising a lot of companies. I know you're 
uh, tenure as operating partner at Abundant Venture Partners was very successful. And you then get a phone call, an email, a message in a bottle, something. Can we talk about your return to Yahoo in early 2019? Um, so, um, uh, so I had kept in touch with uh, Guru Gorapan, who ended up being the uh, CEO of Verizon Media. And over the years, we had compared notes on the industry and what was going on. He uh, had decided to leave Alibaba and was looking at a series of opportunities. And one of those was uh, Oath at that time, which then became Verizon Media. And as part of those conversations, the dialogue was like, hey, remember Guru when we were back at Yahoo, everything that we wanted to do, now you can go and actually do it. Um, so lo and behold, he joins uh, Oath at that time. I was doing advisory for a few different companies. One of those was Comscore, and I was working with with, with the board and, and and the leadership team in in turning that business around. And uh, Guru reached out and said, "Hey, whatever you're doing at Comscore, we may need it at at Verizon for for the Oath assets." So I started doing uh, uh, consulting. This is back in 2018. And as I went back into the business, my eyes were like, you know, wide open. I'm like, wow, you know, the same answer to the first question that you asked is there's all of these assets. There's this amazing opportunity. Um, so got really excited by that. I think that uh, Guru and the Verizon team were happy with some of my perspectives in terms of you know wh where we should take the business. So I got another call saying, hey, you've given us great medicine. Why don't you come and take it yourself? Um, and at that time, the chief business officer role was created. So um, I, I was super excited to, uh, to join and, and uh, you know, get the business to, to a different trajectory. I really like Guru a lot through Allison, who was kind enough to help arrange our conversation today. We had a chance to have Guru on Great Minds and his predecessor, Tim Armstrong, we also hold in very high regard. Uh, I wonder, without looking to tell any tales out of school, it's interesting how both the big telcos, AT&T and Verizon, went running into the media and content business and relatively quickly, went running away from that business. I mean, the story of AT&T in particular with all they spent and how the litigation in Washington and with, you know, over CNN and the acquisition during the Trump administration and, and you know, the amount of money that was spent to acquire it, the amount of effort. And then very quickly at about 50 cents on the dollar, they ran away. Do you think that it was a good idea to try it referring to both AT&T and Verizon, or was it a mistake right from the beginning as something that was not really core to their business? Yes, and, and Matt, you, you also, there's another telco to mention, which is T-Mobile, that is deep into advertising now and has been ramping up those efforts, um, has a great team there, uh, and, uh, you know, they just made an acquisition, so, you know, they are, they are very focused on that. I personally, my personal opinion is that trying new strategies, exploring, you know, paths for growth um, is the right thing to do. Even if, you know, even if 
later down the line, you might realize that, you know, a specific focus uh, is, is going to drive greater growth. So, you know, so to answer your question, I, I think that if, if you don't take those bold steps, you know, you, you will never learn and you will never have an opportunity for something that could be a breakaway, um, you know, a, a, a breakaway growth area. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, watching closely uh, uh, T-Mobile and I know Mike who runs that business well and, and again, he's a great guy, part of the uh, AOL alumni. And, uh, and uh, you know, and at the same time, as you highlighted, you know, Bryson and AT&T um, had their pathway through some of these businesses. So to me, it's all uh, an, an industry learning experience. And I would say for us, for Yahoo, um, we came out stronger on the other side. So um, uh, Bryson in, in many, way, uh, many ways were great corporate parents for us allowing us to go through this transformation. Um, and then also, you know, making the, the honest call of, of, of focusing at a time that has been very unique for us to become an independent company and, and grow it from here. So, uh, uh, so yeah, so all, all, all in all, I think that yeah. learning mindset uh, stands above all. And I have a lot of respect for that Verizon team. I think Diego, I think really highly of, and they've got a lot of talented people there, but I agree with you. I think Yahoo did emerge in a stronger position. And I was very glad that they sort of protected what was the jewel of, of the Verizon media assets, which is Yahoo. No, try. Okay, so let's talk about what that means. Chief business officer, that's an awfully broad Remit. You're part of a very strong leadership team. Um, Yahoo, to me, today in 2022, is one of those great, gee, I didn't know that stories. And we talked about this in New York a few months ago at Hudson Yards. You know, the power of the brand, the strength of your position in finance, in sports, Yahoo Mail, of course, which powers so many of us. But you've got a Ferrari engine underneath that hood. Let's talk about the current state of Yahoo. And I'd love to break down what chief business officer really means. That's a, a, an all-encompassing, unique title. Yeah, so, so, so to your point, if someone described the assets that Yahoo has without, without telling you the brand, right? And as you pointed out, said, hey, number two in sports and growing fast and, uh, you know, the same thing on, 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 on the mail front and hundreds of millions of users. And then, you know, uh, 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 one of the largest independent advertising stacks out there with very unique capabilities and leading assets in the content delivery side and, and in streaming and security, unique capabilities for partners in search. You would be like, wow, <laughs> you know, what is that company, right? Uh, so, so, so I think uh, definitely, you know, a lot of very valuable and, and unique assets. Um, Chief business officer came from the notion that uh, Yahoo, broadly speaking, served two series of customers. One set of customers is consumers. So again, this would be me checking, you know, my portfolio on the Yahoo Finance app. And then the other set of customers is businesses. So this is advertisers, agencies, and publishers. 
helping them grow their business with those ad tech search and, and edgecast assets. So chief business officer, when, when the role was created, was essentially CEO of the B2B business, meaning that I am responsible for those um, businesses end-to-end -end in terms of sales and product and engineering and essentially making sure that we drive meaningful growth for those sets of customers, the business-to-business -business customers. So the simple way to think about it is I'm the general manager of, of that B2B business. Um, and you know, and you mentioned, you, know, you said Ferrari, I definitely like cars and I can connect with that. Um, uh, you know, when, when I joined uh, Yahoo and AOL, they had made, you know, tens and tens of acquisitions in ad tech. And one of the biggest uh, areas of opportunities was bringing those together and creating very strong solutions on the heels of key uh, core assets, if you will. So we learned very quickly that the market was exploding in what we know as omni-channel. So TV dollars were flowing into different forms of advanced TV. Digital out of home was in early stages. Uh, and the whole set of um, advertising, when you think about native advertising, display and video, everything, podcast, everything was um, exploding. And that the need to be able to do that multi-channel, if you will, buying using consistent frameworks was very, very important for advertisers and agencies. And also in certain pockets of inventory, very important for publishers who were cutting across and creating more of that uh, inventory. The second aspect was data. And you know, back in 2018, 2019, some of the early ramblings around the world going cookie-less, some of the earlier browsers beginning to deprecate cookies and a lot of discussion around that. So it was very clear that having very unique data assets and in particular cookie-less or future-proof assets would be very valuable to the whole ecosystem. And then lastly, one of the things that you asked previously which is really deeply connecting with our customers as people and partners. And, you know, it will be surprising, uh, but, you know, some of the players in the space were actually scaling back from that layer of service, which was very important as advertisers. Think of sophisticated advertisers needing to figure out how to do all of this, right? So that was our focus. Um, we were very, um, uh, you know, lucky, if you will, and, and grateful to have both buy side and sell side capabilities. So, a, a DSP, an SSP, and a native network covering both buy and sell side. So, that allowed us to do a lot more optimization. And we were seeing the landscape, the whole industry heading in that direction. So you were seeing the likes of Roku buying a DSP and you were seeing more of that integration. And even today, you're seeing more of trying to optimize all of the different paths of demand to supply and supply to unique demand. So that was very much our focus. And this is what we've been doing for the last, you know, three plus years. And that turned from being a business at that point in time was challenged and declining to a business that has been growing very, very fast uh, on the heels of, of those 
assets. And as you look at it today, when iOS and Android and you know the whole ecosystem has been focused on evolving the identity landscape, when you think about how much connected TV has grown as an example, we really uh, uh, placed ourselves in a position to help our customers leverage all of that. And as a result of that, be rewarded with, uh, with great growth. It's a great story. And, and I love you know, that notion of commitment to customers going back to you and your early days as a 14 year old DJ. You can really see how it all comes together. But in terms of Yahoo's growth today in position, one of the things that I think isn't talked about enough is you have spent an awful lot of time, energy, and brought in some very talented people to build your own tech stack. And that you are sitting on top of a, again, we'll use that Ferrari engine analogy of your own unique technology. I don't think that's talked about enough and really is what powers your ability to power everybody else. That is right. That is right. And in, in some ways, because we have strong publishers on the consumer side, when you think about, you know, again, finance, mail, home, and, 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 and whatnot, that uh, helps us build great solutions that support all of the publisher ecosystem. Um, and, you know, I would say you mentioned Marriott as an example previously. I would say, if, if I could wave a magic wand, you would always know about uh, Yahoo through our customers, through a customer success story where, you know, Marriott, for example, will say, we are innovating in the travel industry and we're doing these thanks to our partnership with Yahoo. Um, so I would say that maybe, you know, one, you know, we need to continue to work on, on, on making sure that that is more broadly known as you highlighted, uh, but also, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to when our customers is essentially become our, our, our ambassadors, if you will, our, our, quite frankly, our marketing partners. You know, there could not be a better endorsement than someone like that. And listen, we're thrilled to be able to help you tell your story because the Yahoo story is a story worth being told as it continues to evolve. But let's talk about the Marriott partnership a little bit more. It's really quite groundbreaking. And it's the first global omni-channel media network created in the travel sector. It's powered by Yahoo, it was just announced. Can we dig into that a little bit more because it's really such a groundbreaking partnership and perhaps a model for things that you'll roll out in other categories? Yes, so uh, one of the things that I, I would say um, uh, are maybe common elements of, of the Marriott story. The first one is Marriott is once again, a people first type company, right? They have trusted meaningful relationships with the Bomboy, uh, members, they have more than 164 million members around the world, and they have so uh, uh, many more, you know, visitors of, of, of their properties uh, over the world. So the first one is people-centric. The second one is this notion of omni-channel, because they can power very unique and relevant experiences for the members across, you know, a, a desktop experience when you may be booking, the mobile app, TV screens, 
in rooms, right? There's one and a half million rooms um, in over 130 countries and territories that have these screens in gyms, right? In, in, inside of halls and whatnot. So it creates this very, very unique and relevant uh, opportunity. And then when you think about some of the assets that we have that I was describing previously, so we have unique demand that we bring in through our DSP. We have an SSP that brings in our demand, but also third-party demand from all of the brands that you would know in terms of other DSPs. And all of that is also powered by people-centric, consent-based data solutions. So what you're typically going to see from us is a series of relationships and partnerships that have those general themes in mind, uh, people-centric, omnichannel, use of data, and in new spaces that are opening up. So there had been a bunch of uh, news around uh, retail media or retail media networks. And when you think about it, in its essence, it goes back to places in the world where there uh, can be new, meaningful, relevant experiences for consumers that are going to make their lives better and that they are going to also help the ones who power those experiences grow and find new revenue streams. And then at the same time, when you think about advertisers and agencies, help them engage with consumers in very, very unique uh, moments and experiences that they were not really able to engage with before. And it's also a great fit for the audience. You're speaking to folks at a time and a place where they've chosen to be. And yeah, that's got to make the thing work much more effectively, I would think. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Great story. So as we start to wrap, I, I, you started, I know you were a consultant for Yahoo before you became chief business officer, but your tenure was only a few months uh, before COVID and before, you know, everything went, you know, off the rails. Can you talk about your experience leading this global organization um, where most of your tenure, I guess until recently, has been on the screen versus in person? You, you know, I know you struck me as a real, you want to be in front of your customers literally, not through the screen. Can you talk about that experience, which for all of us has been unique, but you with a global remit for such a powerhouse company, particularly unique? Yes, well, um, when I joined, I had promised the teams in, in the offices all over the world that in my first year, I would visit all of them. And that was broken by COVID, as you pointed out. Um, look, I, I think we've learned so much throughout that. It was really hard um, on so many levels. We learned, you know, new tricks around time zones, new tricks around, you know, camera on, camera off. And also now new tricks around coming back. And, you know, you've had all of this awkwardness of, you know, not even knowing how to greet someone the first time that you saw them back in person. And, and the same thing applied to, to, our, to our team members, to our, to our customers and partners. So um, what I would say is, uh, personally, I felt that the teams came together 
in a very, very powerful way. I felt that everyone was a lot more, um, uh, you know, empathetic and, and supporting each other as you started seeing pets and kids and, you know, personal home situations and so on popping up. I think that people became a lot more connected. At the same time, coming back into the office in different ways, and, and we are uh, office optional, if you will, while we're going back uh, into the office and are doing a lot of things in the office, we're giving people the, the, the option to really kind of pick the, the skill that works. As much as it connected us in a virtual way more, it also created or put a strain into how we reconnect when things uh, come back to quote unquote normal and we're not done and we have so many other sources of emotional headwinds coming our way, plus the tiredness for many who prefer that in the flesh relationship of, hey, when, when are we getting back of that? Uh, 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 getting back to more of that uh, in, in the flesh relationships. So what, what I would say is it was hard. We learned a lot. Uh, and at the same time, we continue to learn and continue to ground in that deeper understanding of how we have grown as people, how we have grown as societies, and how we as a culture within Yahoo um, evolved that in the way that we relate with each other, in the way that we work, in the way that we relate with our customers. So, you know, what you're seeing these days is a continued awareness. I'll give you a great example. Um, in, in March, we ran our first uh, global sales conference that included people who were together in, in, in a resort. And we had a large group. We had over 500 people there. Um, but then a bunch of people who were remote, right? And, and they were remote for different reasons. Some could still not travel. There were too many restrictions. Some had other considerations. Some chose to be remote, right? So how do we manage that and how do we evolve um, is something that we continue to learn. And uh, I, again, I'll have to say that I'm incredibly grateful uh, to our teams. I'm incredibly grateful to our customers because it took a lot of working in different modes and trying in different modes. I mean, I think you and I would be having a lot more fun doing this, you know, across the, the desk. Uh, and I know that we'll have plenty of opportunities, particularly with you coming to LA more, but, uh, uh, but you know, it's, it's not the same. And there's a level of understanding and empathy in, in, in doing it this way that I personally really appreciate. Yeah, no, I, I think we're exactly on the same page. And I think both you and uh, EHB, another key member of your leadership team, you lead with empathy. And it's not uh, a coincidence. I think that you both use that word quite a bit. We had her on uh, Great Minds in season two. And you mentioned earlier, but being very cognizant of people's mental health and work-life balance. And I think Yahoo really gets that better than most. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this has been a joy. Thank you so much for making the time. And thanks to Allison for putting us together. Uh, but uh, can't wait to see you in person. Uh, yes. Really appreciate you doing this. You got a great story and I'm glad we got a chance to tell just a little bit of it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much. And see you soon.
chaptering, and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.